Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. How are you doing over there? I'm good. I'm kind of excited to talk about this week. I don't know. How do you feel? I'm actually not sure. I just love Beverly Hills. Yeah. I This was like a 10 out of 10 episode. It was a 10 out of 10 episode. And then as I was watching it, I think like in the last 10 or so minutes when I was sad about it ending, I had the realization that Potomac comes back in less than a week. I mean, by the time we're recording this, it's in like three days. I can't believe it. I can't believe the time has come. We really need Potomac right now because it's not, let's just be honest, we all know it. New York is not at the level that it normally is at. So we need Potomac to kind of come in and give, not give Beverly Hills a break, but give us that balance. Yeah. New York is not pulling their weight right now. So I think we need Beverly Hills and Potomac on at the same time to really serve it. And hopefully New York starts to catch up. Yeah. I also just want to say before we start that right before we are recording this, we actually went on this podcast, What Else is Going On with Taria Faison. And I think she says it's going to come out tomorrow. I just have to say, what a good person. Like she, we did it on Zoom and her energy was just so infectious. She was so kind. We had so much fun. And I just wanted to on here, just thank her for having us on. Yeah. We had literally the best time we were cracking up. And if you love Housewives, which you're here, so I'm assuming you do, it's going to be a really good listen. Shall we? Yeah. I mean, there's no time like the present. This episode had everything we love, right? It was, it was heaven. I mean, there's no episode that you're going to dislike when it starts out at Kathy Hilton's house, specifically her tennis court when she is still asleep. Like All of this is going on and Kathy hasn't even graced our screens yet, but already we're at the beautiful Hilton residence and just playing tennis there. Like I was so happy. And then after your tennis lesson on Kathy's lush, green, beautiful tennis court, you get to go into her blue toile kitchen and her pajamas match. She just woke up and she has a fresh fruit bowl. Like that is how I want to live. 
all I want is a scone from Kathy Hilton's table. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like so buttery and good. Like it's a rich scone. Also, just that's a fun fact about me. I am a slut for a baked good. Like I love myself a good muffin or a good. Oh my god! A cor- don't get us started on corn muffins. <laughs> no, you guys don't know. You don't even know. <laughs> on my birthday, Isabel just came over with corn muffins. She's like, I know this is the best gift I could ever give you. <laughs> I could get you like a fifteen-tier fondant, perfect, gorgeous cake from Duff Goldman, and you would appreciate the deli corn muffins way more. Yeah, a little toaster with a little butter. Oh, okay. Oh, God. Don't get don't talk dirty on the podcast. We're only five minutes in. <laughs> so it's just so funny because they're sitting there and I will say that I feel like it's not that often where we get a scene that Erica's, you know, talking about this level of stuff without her like normal, quote, comfortable people, meaning Lisa wasn't there. Kyle wasn't there. You know, Crystal, she just met. And obviously, Kathy isn't even a full housewife. So, in this way, it almost felt like Erica was having the conversation a bit out of her element. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like her usual crew that knows all of the backstory and also knows her really well. Did you catch in the very beginning when Crystal and Erica are getting onto the tennis court and I think Erica was commenting on how beautiful it was. And Crystal made like something like, I've heard your house is beautiful too. And then she like, and your new house. I've heard your new house is great too. I think just automatically thinking about Erica's like estate that she's heard about and seen and kind of probably connected her with in her mind this whole time, that little stumble. And I bet Erica picked up on it too. Not that it was Crystal's fault at all, but just, you know, everyone around her also adjusting to like, oh yeah, you don't live on this sweeping estate anymore. And that's just not your reality, which is okay. It's just different. Oh, totally. It's I did pick up on that. And it's actually funny because last week, I forget exactly what Erica said, but she the sauna, did the, same the sauna. sauna. Right. She said, I have one and then corrects herself too. I used to have one. And so I was saying to you, that's going to happen a lot. And I was talking about it only in terms of her, but it's so true. It will happen with other people as well. Because listen, she's lived this way for 20 years. In the last week, people aren't or can't be expected to all of a sudden you know, adjust their minds. It's going to take a little bit. Yeah, of course. It's kind of synonymous with Erica Jane when you think about her lifestyle, her money, her wealth, her husband. Like It's hard for us to adjust too. Totally. So they're having this conversation and one of the lines that she says, which I see you wrote down was, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you have a lot of independence. And if you're not in charge of your lifestyle from the get, what am I going to do? Which again, kind of feeds into what she's been saying. I know some people think that it's a fake narrative that she's now trying to build now that she has the ability to on TV. Personally, again, call it naive. I think that that's true. I don't think she ever had a lot of independence over the money. And I think that it was, I will fund your lifestyle. However, what I say goes. It's just interesting to hear her talk about it. I will never get over it. No, that's what we were just saying on the podcast we were on before. Like, Even if you don't feel like you can 100% differentiate between what maybe completely the truth and then what may be a little bit fabricated for me she's still saying more than she's ever said so I'm taking it all in it's like I think as the season goes on I can already feel that she's becoming more and more vulnerable and especially now seeing I think it was the preview for next week or even upcoming on the season that she actually starts crying and becoming more and more emotional I guess as it gets to her more she is kind of breaking down and I don't blame her, but I just wonder 
what that must feel like for her and also because we've never seen her vulnerable like this at all and now all of a sudden we're on the completely opposite end of the spectrum. Totally. And I also just want to add that I have to say, I guess I haven't really seen Kathy on the receiving end of these types of conversations. And even though she can't personally relate to what Erica is talking about, since Kathy is still living that wealthy, extravagant lifestyle that she has been living and presumably will always live, it felt in a way like she was connecting with Erica. I don't know. You know, I just felt like she had a lot of emotional intelligence during this conversation, which not to say she doesn't normally, but I guess we just don't really see a serious side of her. Did you feel that way or is that just me? Yeah. And also like she hasn't been through something like this before, at least I don't think so, but maybe just because she's surrounded by so much wealth and probably has had friends who have had money issues and struggles and divorces in the past. She did feel very just warm and sympathetic and understanding, which I think Erica really needed in that moment, like we said, because this isn't necessarily a group that she's so comfortable with. And I think the old Erica in a group like this of, quote, new friends would never have opened up so easily. But because of what's going on and kind of the elephant in the room that they already know, the door's already open. Like She doesn't have to introduce the topic. It's already out there. So it made it a lot easier for her to open up and also for the women to kind of comfort her. Oh, yeah. The publicity of it was kind of a buffer. And I, I was wondering if, if you're Erica, are you more inclined to open up to somebody like Kathy Hilton or embarrassed is so the wrong word I, and I can't find a better word right now to, to try to describe what I mean. But I was wondering if there's a part of Erica that would feel like, oh, she can never understand, you know, or is there actually that level of relatability because she knows what it's like to have the previous life? I was just wondering if there was any of that in Erica's head or that was a non-thought. I'm sure it was a thought. You know, they're sitting in Kathy's multi-million dollar mansion like Erica used to have. It has to sting a little bit. I think it's like talking to somebody who hasn't been through a shared experience when they want to share their advice. You definitely take it with a grain of salt and maybe in this case, a little hint of jealousy like, well, that this hasn't happened to you or maybe will never happen to you. You're so lucky. It's a different life. I don't know. I don't know. Or she's able to put that aside and just look at Kathy as a friend who's being really sweet to her in that moment or she can feel both. Completely. So we now go to Kyle's house and Kathy walks in. I just want to say before we get into the actual scene where they're sitting at the table, like Little things like this make me so happy because there was a point in their relationship where Kathy would never be just casually strolling into Kyle's house. They weren't even on speaking terms. So it's such a small thing that we think is so normal, but there was a point in time where that wasn't the norm. It honestly warms my heart so much because up until this season, we've only heard like about the highs and lows of Kathy and Kyle's relationship and how they were either on good terms or bad terms and never just being and just being sisters. And this felt like Kathy was coming over. They, She was looking at the Christmas decorations and they were just sitting at the table hanging out and it was all I ever wanted. Now, as Kyle says, they're not all three sisters always on good terms. It's hard in a group of three. There's always like wavering dynamics. But for the moment, I'm just appreciating what we have between Kathy and Kyle. And I'm honestly happy for them that they have the show to kind of bring them together, force them to hang out alone, and also kind of make them enjoy the time that they have being on good terms that they usually maybe wouldn't spend together because they're so busy. 
Yes, and also as a viewer, I'm so glad that I'm understanding the state of each of their individual relationships with Kim, but from both of them. Not because I don't trust Kyle's version of it. Like it's not that I thought that she was being untruthful, but you you'll never get the full picture if you're only hearing it from one person. So, okay, it's one thing if, you know, Kyle's telling Mauricio without Kathy in the picture, as we see from that flashback of like, haven't been really talking to Kim that much. And then Kathy comes in and tells us what Kim is actually thinking because she spoke to her for three hours. And by the way, she changed her number. We would have never had that insight if Kathy wasn't on the show. No, never. It would have been, if Kim was on the show, it would have been Kyle trying to reach out to her and they would have been fighting. And if neither of them were on the show, maybe Kyle would have mentioned it naturally. But these things happen all the time in their relationship. So who knows? You're right. We never would have had that insight. And also, it's interesting to watch the dynamic of how it feels when Kathy tells something like that to Kyle, Kyle's reaction, and who gets the news first, and just kind of how everything travels within their circle. Right. And I do genuinely believe that both of their primary concern or both of their primary desire is like just for Kim's well-being. Like They are obviously both sad that she's isolated and they care for her. And I that is not taken away from what I'm about to say. However, I have to wonder if Kyle consciously held herself back from reacting in a way when Kathy said the phone thing, because I like, I just have to wonder if she was more upset about not knowing than she let on because she didn't want it to come across like she was making it about her. Yeah. I don't, it's so hard to say. I feel like it's a whole mix of emotions and history and also probably not the first time that this has happened. Totally. (laughs) Wait, also, there is something so hilarious about Kathy's beautiful Bottega bag on Kyle's kitchen table and the pedicure shoes are coming out. The vitamins are coming out. It's literally Mary Poppins and watching how unfazed yet also aware Kyle is, is honestly one of my favorite things. It is pure entertainment that we couldn't write. When she's like a bottle of hairspray coming out, I'm sorry, and water bottles. And it's like, it is literally Mary Poppins is shaking. (laughs) I know. And then she's in her confession. Like, you know, I was actually looking for my bag. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Like she doesn't even know how good it is. She doesn't even know. And of course it's, the fact that it's in that bag and not like some random tote bag or a shopping bag just makes it so much more perfect and also probably the epitome of Kathy Hilton. Nothing that she could do at this point would surprise me. I just appreciate it and want more of it. Yeah, exactly. So when we're at Erica's house now, before Lisa and Son come over, I loved this moment with the producer because the producer point blank asks her, does it feel like for the first time in 22 years, you have to think about money? which is so a question that I've been curious about and didn't know if somebody would ask her that as clearly as they did. And she says, yes. I mean, clearly she's not thrown off by that question and she acknowledges that it's the truth, but then says, I wrote a New York Times bestselling book. I was on Broadway, a shoe collaboration. I have enough for Postmates and my own little house. Wasn't this so interesting to you? Yeah. And someone like Twitter, I think made a really good point of, was she working so hard and doing these kind of side jobs knowing that she wanted to have financial independence and maybe one day she was going to leave Tom? Was she doing it because she's a housewife and that's kind of just what happens when you become a housewife? And of course, you're presented with a shoe collaboration. Who wouldn't want that? And she's trying to build her Erica Jane image. But just 
the way that she thinks about it in her mind that she saved up money from those things that being a housewife afforded her and that that's kind of what she has to live off of now. I was like, holy shit, like this is real. Like she is genuinely thinking about her Postmates orders and her rent now, which I don't think she ever had to before. I mean, she was living in this mansion and serving caviar every time someone came over. So to flip the switch like that after 20 something years, just the stark contrast alone for anyone is so jarring. Yeah. And obviously she couldn't say this, but she also has money from the show. I mean, she makes, I think, at least 400 grand a season. I, I want to say it's half a million a season, but I could be off. I know it's definitely more than 300. So, you know, that is a huge amount of money, especially maybe back in the day it wasn't to her because, you know, back in the day that was actually less than her entire annual glam bill. But now that's a huge chunk of change that she's also getting. Yeah. I, the glam bill alone is probably like her salary. I don't even know the numbers, but yeah, the show is definitely a good source of income, but it also fuels like the other incomes. So it allows her to do other things and get exposure and just still be relevant, I guess. But I don't know at what cost and like, will she come back next season? I don't even know. I have to imagine that she would. Honestly, I don't think I don't think that losing relevancy, even though the people around her or some of like the quote fans or viewers may say that's the best thing for your image, I don't think anything could convince her that losing relevancy and taking time off would be the move. Because I think, I just think there's a thing about being in LA, especially when you're a woman in your 40s, and this whole like, it's a really ageist place, honestly. And so I think there's this mindset that's kind of like embedded in these people of once you go out, who knows if you'll be welcomed back in kind of like in the spotlight type of situation, like your time's running out. I just feel like that, that mindset is so deeply rooted in so many of these women that I think she'd have to be left kicking and screaming unless it was so strongly advised by her legal team. Yeah. I think also it would be good for her to have like a quote comeback season where the season isn't all about her divorce. It's about her getting back on her feet and a little bit happier and maybe the post court drama proceedings. Like, I don't mean who even knows what's going to happen with that if she'll be allowed or around to be on the show. But just even as a source of income, you don't think about it as a job. But at the end of the day, it is a job and it does pay the bills. And we think about Housewives coming back as more of just like an emotional decision and where they are in their lives. But it is a job and it does pay. And when you really have to think about it, you, you know, you weigh that heavily. I mean, these are not the two same situations at all. But I think about Danielle Stow. I was watching one of her Instagram lives one of the nights that she was doing it after a New Jersey episode. And she made a comment like, you know, well, I got to get to do something or I'm going to be the charity, Some, something to that case, but basically saying like, I got to get back on TV because that's my main source of income, you know? So it uh, totally, it's a real thing. Yeah. And we like, don't really think about it that much. No, we don't. I, well, the other reason that we don't is because a lot of times, a lot of these women, they're doing it, you know, for fun or for the fame, but it's not necessarily the thing that's paying the bills. Maybe it's giving them a little bit of financial independence, but if it all went away tomorrow, they would still live their lifestyle in the same way for a lot of them, not for everyone though, especially honestly, as housewives has grown more and more. I think that for more and more of these women, it actually is one of their main sources of income. Whereas back in the day, that wasn't the case. 
Right. Like the money didn't necessarily matter. Yeah, it's true. But also, like I said, the opportunities it affords them, maybe not the housewives check, but also to like launch a somewhat of a career outside of housewives if that's something that they want to do. It's all very interesting. That's a whole other thing. Like we should really bring someone on as a separate thing that maybe, you know, has, I mean, we could do research on it ourselves, but I just think it would be fun to have somebody with a deeper business mind to talk about some of their individual ventures and like the actual dollar amount behind it. I know that would be, yeah, I'm so curious. Yeah. So Lisa and Sutton are there. We'll get into their actual conversation in a minute, but just a side note, you know, Sutton brings her this housewarming gift, very Sutton fashion. And it's this kind of beautiful Dolce & Gabbana book. She had it signed and she's in the book, not once, but twice. I would just like to take this opportunity to say, I completely welcome this making me sound like I have no fashion literacy. That's fine with me. I'm coming on here to say I absolutely dislike every single thing I think I have ever seen Sutton wear and doesn't take away from her appreciation for high fashion. That being said, I just would like to take this opportunity to say at the risk of sounding really uncultured, I don't fucking get it. It's definitely complicated. And also how I feel about her gifting Erica the book that she's in and like I don't know. I just don't I just don't think we're feeling Sutton. So it's like now we backtrack and kind of nitpick and everything she does just feels annoying. But yeah, that was definitely a choice. No, I don't mind her giving Erica the book. I actually think that was a fine move. And I actually think Erica of all people can appreciate getting a book with her in it. I'm saying I was thinking about the scene later with the leather pants where I literally could not stand what Sutton was wearing. And I was like, I may as well get that out now so that I'm not piling on a few minutes later. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. So Sutton says to her, you know, you kind of seem happier. And she responds, I hate to say it, but it's true. Do you feel that in your soul though? I think she feels lighter, honestly. Let's pretend, let's take this at face value and say that she may know some shit is coming down the pipeline legally, right? And maybe that fueled her decision. But let's also say she doesn't know the extent of it. So assuming she doesn't know the full extent of it, the possibility of her actually feeling happier starts to feel a little bit more feasible. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think she probably has to do a little bit of convincing of herself of like what she left behind and the life and how she now is on her own and like what the positives are. But definitely lighter is a good way to put it, except when you think about what is ahead of her in terms of legal troubles, I feel like she hasn't even got to the top of the mountain yet. Oh no. She doesn't realize that though. Right. Like does she or does she not? Does she think she's in a good place? I I don't know. I think she knows it's going to get bad. And I think that was one of the reasons for this happening so quickly. I literally do not think she knows just how bad it is. I really don't. Because I don't think the people closest to him knew the full, full, full extent of it. Yeah, that's true. She's talking about here in her confessional how, you know, she had mentioned to Tom that she was going to see a psychiatrist during quarantine and he kind of just brushed it off. There was never any question. And she's saying, you know, he never asked me, quote, because remember, what did I have to be sad about? Which I think that one line is very representative of the type of image she is trying to paint, whether accurate or not, I'm going to choose to believe that it is for purposes of this conversation, of their relationship and kind of how Tom says, listen, I give you everything you want and you shut up and be pretty. 
I mean, that is a very like dark peek into her life. And we spoke about this, about how her being alone during quarantine with him in the house definitely propelled this or maybe was the catalyst to get her to leave of realizing without all the hustle and bustle, without us going out and living separate lives and working, just the two of us in this house is not where I want to be. And the way that he would handle her was clearly a very unhappy relationship for her. And I guess it came to a breaking point. It seems like when she realized like she was depressed, she brought it up in the first episode and he just did not give a shit. Yeah, which is really just not the place you want to be in with your husband. No, definitely not. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So we go to Rinna's house for this Positano dinner that Harry is making and Somebody, I don't know if I saw it on a tweet or something, and they were like, what is the deal where we are getting 300% more Harry Hamlin screen time than we ever have gotten? We're getting more Harry Hamlin than we are Dorit. <laughs> Literally. No, wait. like, really. <laughs> wait, why are we getting no Dorit? I, I don't understand. I don't know if it's, like, coming or if she just has no involvement, but she's really dressing up and <laughs> just standing there looking pretty. I don't know. She's not involved. It's just, it is weird, but we definitely got more Harry Hamlin this week than we did Dorit. A hundred percent. I really like watching Harry and Lisa because it's the only time that I see Lisa in a situation where she's clearly not the alpha and I think really enjoys not being the alpha. Like, I think that's maybe one of the reasons that their marriage works. I think at home, she probably doesn't want to be the alpha, but the way she kind of takes a step back, not in like a submissive way, but in a very clear, that's their roles is so opposite to the way she is in friend groups. Right. It's true. It's, I guess it depends also who's in the group and like what company she's surrounded by. Yeah. I just think, you know, they say like, sometimes you choose a partner because when you get home, you don't want to have to be the way that you are in the world. And so sometimes it's nice to have somebody else that like takes over and to kind of takes the mind work out of things. And I don't know, their relationship just must work for whatever reason. Yeah. I, I like watching them. No, me too. And then, 
you know, he's cooking this whole meal and the women are coming in one by one. And when he's talking to Kyle and they're just talking about Amelia, not even necessarily as it applies to Scott, but Kyle makes this comment of like, hey, I was 19 when I had Farrah, like stranger things have happened. And you truly could watch Harry's wheels turning and just the pure shock on his face of like, why the fuck would you bring that up? No, I saw the blood like drain from his face. I think you could tell based on the later conversation around Scott and age difference that it's been heavily discussed in the Hamlin household and that Harry just overall is not approving of it. Not necessarily the age difference, but also how young she is. So for Kyle to just come in guns blazing, like, haha, like this could happen to you. I think he was like, holy shit. Like I was, I was afraid that his pasta was going to burn because he was going to go into a full panic. No, I, I swear to God, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know how I, I imagine it? Like when we're with my dad and it's on a hot day and we're like giving him water, like take this water, take this aspirin. That's how I felt with Harry. No, I thought that they were going to have to call the paramedics. People are just coming in and Garcelle walks in and she's saying how she hasn't been to Rinna's house in seven years. And the last time she was there was for Rinna's 50th birthday party. And they have this moment where they're just kind of reminiscing on the night and Garcelle saying how she didn't get off the dance floor. And I loved it because- in every one of their conversations, they've spoken about this like long-standing friendship that they have had, yet we've never really seen it or we've never really heard about it. And so like, not that I didn't believe it, but I just loved when they flashed the pictures. I was like, yeah, this is why, or this gives us more insight as to why their makeup is a little bit more complicated because there is real history here. I know because sometimes when they say, oh, we've known each other for 15 years, it's like, you know a ton of people around town, but the fact that Garcelle was at her birthday party at her house, which is kind of an intimate thing, even if it was a big party, to have history with someone and to know them well before you're on the show, it does provide a lot of context. And also, it kind of made me feel hopeful that there was more before this whole trauma happened and that they do have shared experiences together and hopefully they could get back to that and that Garcelle is maybe trying to work towards it more than we thought. Yeah, I felt like it almost, I don't know if this sounds weird, but I felt like it almost kind of made Lisa look better in Garcelle's eyes because she had this moment of like remembering their fond times together, you know? Yeah, I know. I think she was like happy maybe that they could share that together. Right. And also, I never doubted the fact that they've known each other for all these years, but something that they do on Housewives all the time. And I think of this when Ebony was on our podcast last week and she was like, I was not deeply friends with Leah before. Like, yeah, we knew each other a few weeks before filming because that's what we had to do. Like, you never really know how much they actually knew each other or if it was more of a production move to kind of make the integration feel more seamless. They do it all the time. And so again, it's just more solidification that like, no, this relationship really did exist. I love when they put a picture up too, like really bring us back. And did you notice that Lisa was basically wearing the exact same outfit? No, that's hilarious. Like, how did nobody mention that? I know. <laughs> I thought the producers were going to do like a Lisa on her 50th birthday, Lisa right now. Yeah, that would have been savage. I bet Andy will bring that up at the reunion. So Kathy comes in and they're all sitting around. They're in this beautiful little seating area. And when Sutton walks in, Kathy makes the comment like, hi, Thomasina. <laughs> and Sutton's like, are we going to start with that? That's fun. And she says in her confessional that she's kind of getting to a breaking point. But keep in mind, I just everybody keep this in the back of your mind. Crystal has not said one word about this, nor has anyone else. So Kathy Hilton is 
intentionally or not intentionally, the instigator right now. She doesn't realize it. She does. She has no idea what, like, she just thinks she's being funny and silly and doesn't realize the depth of this argument and that her calling her Thomasina will, like, really spark something in her. I I think a lot of times housewives do it intentionally. I genuinely think Kathy Hilton is just being funny. Me too. I th- I don't think she means any harm by it. Well, I think also because getting so upset over something like that is a foreign concept to her. Like, clearly she just lets things roll off. So I don't think she's thinking that you know, calling Sutton a nickname is going to incite this rage. No, I don't think she does either. And I don't think she realizes how the actual argument is really serious. She thinks it's just a silly thing. So they're at the table. They're all eating. Harry comes out. He sits with them. Again, like Lisa is so genuinely excited to kind of not show Harry off, but just like to have him interact with the women. And you know what I was thinking about when I was watching this? I I don't know if you did, but do you remember last season the night that Erica had the women over, it's the night when her and um, Lisa are in the same outfit. And she brings Tom out and he's talking with the group. And we said on that episode from last year, like, wow, Erica was so proud of Tom. She was so proud to show him off. I felt like eerily, not that there was anything similar with Harry, but I felt that exact same energy. It was exactly the same energy. She just wanted to show him off and let everyone kind of get his vibe and she felt so proud of him and the fact that he can cook and he put the table together. You're right. Like the women are proud of their husbands and they want them to kind of fall in love with them in a way. And she was totally having that moment. Totally. So they're having this whole conversation. And when they bring up Amelia, because Delilah's in Cabo, Amelia's going to meet her. And Kyle says, is Amelia going with Scott? And Rena's like, no, she's going by herself. I don't ask a lot of questions right now. There's a lot coming at us. The press stuff that's coming in is like, holy guacamole. And, you know, Rin and her confessional saying that Lois saw this article at the grocery store saying that Scott and Amelia are engaged and she's calling Lisa, freaking out. And Harry says, my feelings about it. The issue that's most enduring is the age difference, which is odd. But then I think about myself and Ursula Andres. And he was saying how, you know, he was 14 years younger than her. He was 29 and she was 44 or something like that. And so like watching him kind of process it out loud and almost recognize his hypocrisy yet also not because 19 is very different than 29. Like the whole thing, I was just, I could have watched that conversation. I'm not kidding for the entire episode. I'm happy he was able to like call it out because I think a lot of people were thinking that, but he's, it's just clear that he's been really thinking about this for a long time and kind of trying to process it and figure it out and had a mix between wanting to speak about it, but also just wanting to push it away and not talk about it on camera in front of all these people. The thing that I keep thinking though, is like, if I'm Lisa and Harry and I want to support my daughter, but I also obviously have doubts the thing that I would probably keep telling myself to rationalize it is like, this is just a stupid fling. It's no big deal. And this is filmed in what, November? They're wishing each other happy Thanksgiving. Like we're now in July approaching August and they're going strong and they're getting each other lavish birthday gifts and Amelia's wishing Penelope a happy birthday. And I'm wondering, what is Harry Hamlin now? Like, I want to know July 8th, 2021, what is Harry Hamlin talking about if somebody asks him? Yeah. Like that's the thing. Everyone keeps comforting them and saying, it's just a phase. It'll go away. You know, it's a summer fling or whatever it was, a winter holiday thing. But then it's like, okay, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. And now, however many months later, it wasn't just a fling and it is whatever it is. 
how do they feel now as the reality has started to set in? And when Lisa said that they got to, quote, meet Scott Disick because it was like a meet the parents thing, how do they feel? Are they okay with it? How's their relationship with Amelia? I oh, I just need to know so many things. Well, let me tell you one thing. Any excitement or like subliminal happiness that Lisa feels regarding the fame thing that we said a few weeks ago about how like there is definitely a part of her that likes it is so wildly offset, I would imagine, by Harry's disapproval. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So they're all sitting there and, you know, Rinna brings out this birthday cake for Garcelle, which Garcelle even said in her confession, like she appreciates that as a gesture, which I do think it may seem like a small thing, but I do think that when somebody not only remembers your birthday, but also takes the initiative to celebrate it, that's a flattering and like a heartwarming gesture. Yeah. She definitely got points for that. It's funny when she's blowing out the candles and she's like, I want him hung like a horse. And Harry goes, be careful what you wish for. Hysterical. I love her. She just gives no fucks. Like she's not embarrassed about anything. And especially to say that in front of all the women on camera and then also in front of Harry, like hilarious. But let me tell you, like, tell me this is not a dream trio. Garcelle, I want him hung like a horse. Harry Hamlin, be careful what you wish for. Kathy Hilton, her confessional. I didn't know that she liked horseback riding. I'm sorry. (laughs) That is why we watch this fucking show, okay? That's it, right there. Like that one millisecond. Welcome to Nada Yada Island. This season on Nada Yada Island. When we were new, they spoiled me. They even gave me a phone. But then, it's like I didn't exist. Don't take Yada Yada from your wireless carrier. Now with Metro, get that new customer feeling again and again. Introducing Metro Flex. Free 5G phones when you join, same deals as new customers when you stay. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Just bring your number and ID and sign up for an eligible plan. After 12 months, trade in and get our best deals on select devices. Okay, this next part is when shit really hits the fan. And you guys all know what happened. Like, we don't need to do a step-by-step breakdown of... Everybody's starting to give Garcelle the gifts and Sutton starts putting on her lipstick and Kyle. Like, we don't need to go into it because you guys watched it. You know what happened. We, we were just talking about this on the podcast we were on before with Taria. I want to just give my like top level analysis of what I think went on here if I was in Sutton's mind. Okay. Yes. As we know, Sutton's love language, potentially her strongest one, is the act of gift giving. She prides herself on it. She has been known for it and she's been applauded for it. And Garcelle also is somebody that she definitely cares about and considers her a close friend and is definitely mutual. So once they start bringing out the gifts and Sutton has this realization of, holy shit, I forgot, one, very out of character for her. And second of all, she has no one to blame because as it flashes back, Lisa told her about this. So she wasn't excluded from it. Lisa made the group aware about these gifts and Sutton just forgot, which is such an innocent thing to do and it happens to all of us. But for her, I think the shame that she felt was overwhelming. And so that happens. And then while that's happening, she is directly looking at Crystal, who is giving Garcelle the gift that she is potentially the most excited about. And Sutton is now sitting in her own shame about forgetting Garcelle's birthday or forgetting to bring a gift while also having to watch all of the other women praise Crystal for her excellent gift giving. And so she needed someone to be mad at. She didn't want to be mad at herself. And it just took off on Crystal in a way that had absolutely nothing to do with that fucking word violation. And on top of it, 
Sutton's continued kind of like paranoia or sensitivity to feeling excluded or feeling like she's the only one in the group not part of something. I mean, we saw it with the martini prank and Kyle had to keep saying to her like, no, it's fine. I wasn't part of it either. Like you weren't being purposely left out. Like there's no conspiracy against you or anything. So then to also be the one in the group that was the one kind of left out, even though it was kind of her own fault, it really sent her kind of into a tailspin. A huge tailspin. And like we were just saying this before, that something must have happened in her childhood or at some point in her life where she has a real sensitivity to feeling excluded, even though this exclusion was not one intentional on their behalf. And second of all, they didn't even do it. Like the irony of it all is like she kind of excluded herself by forgetting, even though like that's a weird term because I don't think any of the rest of us would view this as like exclusionary, but obviously that's her like trigger. And so it just, it goes to show you how when you don't resolve that shit from whatever point in your lives, it comes out in really interesting and kind of poorly timed ways because she needed something to be mad at. And so all of the anger for Crystal just rose up for her. But if this never happened, I would go as far as to say, if the gift giving with Garcelle never happened and she wasn't looking directly at Crystal, she wouldn't have brought up the violation thing. I don't think she would have either. I think it kind of just brought everything up back to the surface, all of her anger, frustration, and emotions that she had felt the last time she was with this group. And she just didn't know how to channel that energy. It was really, it was just like scary. It was scary. And, you know, I can't lie and say like when I saw her behind the bar and she was all upset and all the women are rushing over to her, like even though I disagreed with her completely and I thought it was irrational and I recognized it had nothing to actually do with Crystal, like I felt bad for her, not for what she was actually saying. I felt bad that this is the way that she's processing her emotions. Like that just goes to show how kind of unevolved she is emotionally. And like, that sucks. You don't want anyone to be like that. Clearly her therapist, if she has one, isn't doing the best job. No. And also Crystal's sort of like stoic reaction and not pushing or pulling back into and giving into her over the topness, I think really threw her for a loop too, because it wasn't what she was expecting. No. And listen, I, again, let me just start by saying like, I saw people have really split opinions on this, even in RDM. So like whatever you feel is fine. You don't have to be on whoever's side. Like if you hated the way Crystal reacted, if you loved the way she reacted, that's fine. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. My personal belief on it was that I just had to check myself because there was a moment, I kind of went through a process. My first was like, wow, I fucking love the way that Crystal is staying calm, cool, and collected. I then was like, you know, maybe she could give in this, this woman is crying. Like maybe she could soften up for a second. And then I was like, wait a second, why am I expecting or demanding of her to like match Sutton's level of being so irrational? Because nothing even happened here. There was never a conversation. Sutton's reacting to something that has nothing to do with Crystal. And so I feel like that's an unfair expectation for me to have. So like, yeah, do I still think it's kind of an unnecessary hill to die on to be unwilling to replace that word? Yeah. But also Sutton was the one that was out of line here. So in my opinion, like the frustration shouldn't be directed at Crystal. Again, it's fine if you disagree, but that's my stance on it. I think if we're choosing between which one of them was the more wrong, it's Sutton every day of the week. Crystal was kind of just doing her own thing. Right. Like she doesn't have to just match her volume just because Sutton is being that frantic doesn't mean she has to be as frantic. So I think it really caught Sutton off guard that she wasn't kind of getting up to her level or feeding into it. But it just, it was such an unmatched 
battle in a way of like they they really did seem like they were on two completely different planets and it was uncomfortable for Sutton beyond belief and made her stoop so low that she had to dig at her outfit which is like pretty much the worst thing you could do in this kind of scenario in Beverly Hills. (laughs) We were just saying that like in any franchise, but Beverly Hills specifically, when you go for the clothes, that's when you know. Actually, I should say when you go for the clothes, not in a confessional, like in person. Oh my God. That's pretty much the lowest of the low. I think maybe tied with like kids and husbands and families is your outfit fashion choices. I think for some of these women, like specifically for Dorit, she would probably rather somebody make a kind of offhanded comment about PK rather than say that like her Louis outfit was a little bit gaudy. I I agree with you. I will say just like the moment of comedic relief in all of this is obviously Kathy Hilton, who with such genuine curiosity and confusion looks Sutton directly in her eyes and just asks her, who is Hunky Dory? As in like, who is this Hunky Dory that you speak of? This is cinematic genius, pure cinematic excellence, genius. You can't write this. And the fact that they were not even expecting it and nobody kind of reacted to it is like, And then in her confessional, who's hunky-dory? I'm sorry. You can't find someone better than Kathy Hilton. No, you can't. I don't get it. Like most people are on our page and then you see like the the occasional haters that I'll notice, like just as I'm scrolling through random Bravo pages that are like, wow, Kathy Hilton says three lines and she has everybody on their knees. It's like, yes, because this doesn't happen. Like you don't normally get this level of established and wealth and like fame and and presence and esteem coupled with this level of complete obliviousness like that is not a combination we normally have and it's fucking amazing right no i mean there literally has never been anyone like her and there never will be she's one of a kind yeah i mean listen we all know what happens like crystal Wall, crystal accuses sutton of being jealous to which she responds what am i jealous of your ugly leather pants and like the whole thing blows up but i have a question for you and i wonder if anybody else thinks this we talk about a lot how like the lowest kind of hanging fruit to accuse someone of is being jealous right like people use yeah. that all the time when it's not actually the case my one question here because we don't know because it's to be continued do you think that in that table setting, Crystal actually picked up on Sutton's jealousy or rage about the whole gift thing or the praise and that that's what she was referring to? Or do you think that that was just her immediate kind of knee-jerk reaction because it's a common thing to say when somebody's acting that way? I don't think it was so like small to that moment of being jealous. I feel like she was alluding overall to like maybe how Crystal fits in the group. I I don't know what she was saying. Maybe it was also something she just pulled out in a moment of like being flustered and trying to think of something to say. I really don't know. I mean, hopefully we'll get to hear what she was thinking or she might just say, I just pulled it out in a moment of anger. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in that. I will say like, not that I think that Crystal needs to apologize to Sutton by any means at all. I could see her maybe now that we saw some of the clips last week about how like the story was told in a little bit of a different way as she kind of progressed it. Maybe she could have said something like, you know, I'm sorry that I may, maybe it came across to you as I misrepresented the story when I told it, like something like that. She wasn't going to do it. And I'm not saying she had to, but I could have seen if she wanted to give an apology, maybe that, like, I don't think that would have been so far fetched or such a big ask. No, I mean, we know that they end up in somewhat of a good place. So I feel like something like that had to have happened. 
Well, when Sutton kind of runs off and Crystal's smirking, I think her smirk was to be like, she almost had foresight of like, I know that this is going to come across like this bitch is off her fucking rocker. Yeah. I think Crystal really was able to see throughout this whole thing of like, everyone's going to see this weird meltdown go down and I'm fine. I didn't, I don't feel like I did anything wrong. I think she felt pretty stable in her position and in her, and like good about her stance, which is a good feeling when you are in the scenario like this. Totally. Totally. Anything else that we're missing from this episode? No. Amazing episode. I laughed. I cried. I was entertained. There was looks and outfits and family time and friend time and like a dinner party. I mean, that's what you call a good episode of Housewives. Wait, we didn't, we forgot to say this because we said it on the other podcast. One of the other best moments of the episode that actually was completely nonverbal was when (laughs) Sutton is like in the midst of her meltdown and Dorit has the selfie camera on checking her makeup, which I said on the other podcast was like such a Kim Kardashian moment. Like it was very much the Kim, stop taking pictures of yourself. Your sister's going to jail. Like that was such Libra energy. It was so funny. So, so funny. You've one of the biggest like fights of the season that ends up being in the trailer and a drawing point to the season happening in front of your eyes. And she just has her selfie touching up her matte lipstick. You couldn't ask for anything better. And again, we say if, if someone criticize her, it would be the lowest that you could get. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. I saw a tweet last week that said something like, you know, it, it happened for the first time in my life. I forgot that New York was on. And I was th- saying if we didn't have a podcast, that would have been me. I know. Like I would totally get way behind on it and maybe not binge it, which is really weird and scary and never happened before. So it just, I don't know. It's like, I just don't even recognize it. I know. Well, let's get into it. I mean, before we get into obviously everything that happened in Salem, let's take a moment to talk about Ebony taking Sonia to the matchmaker, which just as a side note, kind of like a random fun fact, this matchmaker, Devin Simone, was on the real world. And I remember I saw her, I was like, why does she look so familiar? And then I looked it up and that was who she was. So if you saw her and she looked familiar and you didn't know why, that may have been why. I like when they've been on TV before. It makes me feel like they're comfortable in front of the cameras and also I don't know. I like a little Easter egg hidden in a Bravo show. We love a cross-reality situation. Love. So they're there in Philly for this matchmaker. And in the car ride on the way, it was kind of interesting what was going on because it's not as though I feel Sonia was 
caught or anything, but you could tell that the way she's explaining it to Ebony, while not untruthful, definitely had a little bit of a different edge than when she was talking with Ramona and Luann. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's also hard because I feel like Sonia's actual feelings and sentiment remained the same, but the way that she just feeds into whoever's around her kind of ebbs and flows. So I felt like her intentions were never bad and always were on Ebony's side, but it, yeah, she was caught a little bit. Totally. So when they're talking just about, you know, who she's going to date and Ebony makes the comment in her confessional, like Sonia married the bank. Where do you go from there? A broke one? I don't think so. So well put. That's like, that's it. That's the tweet. That exactly. That is the tweet. And when they sat down and, you know, they're having this conversation, I think it was Ebony said something like, I think it's the lawyer in me that wants to advocate, but it's true. She wants to make sure that Sonia is putting herself or painting herself in a light that would allow her to be matched with these men, which I don't know if we're going to see this on the actual season, but I would love to watch them set her up with somebody that was like a really pristine man. I know. And like we said, I think last week, we're just so happy to have someone really advocating for Sonia and like really seeing her true potential and not sort of taking her as a joke or not believing in her or looking at her as like the kooky kid sister. Yeah. And Sonia made the comment of like, you know, I often times get introduced to people through my friends and then it becomes a friends with benefits. And she's like, I'm over that. And the other thing about that is when it's all so familiar, you don't really get the opportunity to introduce yourself as somebody new. So however they knew of Sonia for all these years is how she enters then the relationship. Whereas with some of these new men, she can kind of walk into it with this new lease on life that she may have. Right. Like they don't have any preconceived notions and hopefully they weren't watching Housewives of New York. So she can totally start with a fresh slate. Completely. Anyway, so we're going to Salem. Leah's planning this trip, which by the way, I saw she had posted an Instagram of her in front of the RV because I guess Outdoorsy or whatever that company was set them up with that. And I saw an event planning company comment on the post like, thank you so much for allowing us to take part in planning this magical weekend. And I was just wondering, like completely as a side note, how that works in terms of do they choose the event planning company? Bravo pays for it. How does the production money work? Like, I'm so curious about that. Right. Like, does Leah get to actually pick the activities and then production has to get permits to film? There, It's not just like Leah logs on to like Expedia and plans a trip for everybody. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> So they get to the dinner, which is at this tattoo parlor. It's a lace and latex thing. In theory, it's a great idea. It's a beautiful setup. And I definitely will say that I understood the vibe that she was trying to curate, didn't you? I totally understood the vision. I just did not know if it was going to be executed. Right. It was like the setup, the shot. (laughs) Yeah. The setup did not equal the shot. No. So you know, they get there and they're all having that conversation. And this is when Ebony brings up, we can't get to the Kiki if I have a doubt in my mind that you're in line with white supremacy. In her confessional, Ebony's saying, this is the reality that in today's America, you're either anti-racist or you're a racist. Which when she says that, I think that, you know, it kind of perked up some of their ears. Luann makes the comment back, where did you get the idea that we're aligned with white supremacy? And from there, it was kind of like, I think the if I had to really simmer it down to what was happening here, not one person was hearing each other. No, they were literally all on different 
planets and it was not a conversation. It was kind of everybody just shouting into the void and not listening or hearing each other and either wanting to or not wanting to engage in it. And it was just not productive in any way. I know that when we were on the What Else is Going On podcast, we were talking about Leah and I was kind of asking you guys because I hadn't really thought about it myself, like asking you guys what you thought because we've been transparent in saying we used to love Leah and this season we kind of just lost it for her. Like I just, it's, she has not really been my thing. Everybody's allowed to have a bad season, but I just, I, if I'm being honest, I just kind of lost it for her. And I do have to wonder, would this scene have gone down completely differently as it applies to Ebony and Ramona if Leah wasn't there? Because I almost, while I understood what she was doing and at times I actually think she handled it well in terms of like also asking Ebony some questions that, you know, made it seem like her favoritism was not necessarily only towards her. There's a part of me that feels, and Taria kind of said this, that Leah gets off on Ramona's discomfort, like partially, and then also likes to continually insert herself as if she is absolutely without question the most like quote woke of the group with the exception of Ebony. And so I wonder if Ramona would have reacted any differently if Leah wasn't there. I don't know. It's just a question. I don't know either. I think when I really examine it, I liked Leah during this scenario better than I have most of the season and last season because she kind of sat back in the middle and let other people talk, which isn't usually her strong suit. But you're right. Like I think Ramona doesn't like Leah's kind of reactions to her and that Leah, you know, is like so on Ebony's side and doesn't listen to her and kind of adds fuel to the fire. But it yeah, I, I think if you removed any of them, the whole dynamic would have been so different. I kind of think so too. I mean, maybe well, do you think this conversation would have happened in the way that it did if Sonia didn't start at all? Um, I don't know. I think I wouldn't put it past Ramona to make some sort of remark to Ebony being like, Oh, you're gonna finally have fun with us, and then it would totally it, it had to come up. It had to. There's been too much talk behind Ebony's back and within different variations of the group that it couldn't not come up. Yeah. You know, when Ebony says to Ramona, kind of just acknowledging how like, quote, exhausting this must feel and saying to her, like, I know you don't want to hear about the cause, but it's my existence. And Ramona responds with, but you're living a great life. I don't understand. Hermes bags. I don't have your life. Looking at you, I don't think that you struggle, which like the one thing, and we said this with Taria, the one thing that you have to say about Ramona is that this is really, I mean, her ignorance and whatever you want to call it is on full display. And so at least this is, at least we can say this is the most truthful version of what is going on in her mind because she doesn't even know that that's a problematic thing to say. So she can't stop herself from saying it, which is just the reality. I mean, that's just a fact. Right. Like she doesn't even try to shield her authentic thoughts, maybe thinking that they could be problematic or that she doesn't want to say the wrong thing. She just says everything. So we really can follow her exact train of thought. And I mean, <laughs> When she said that, I was literally like, are you kidding me? No, I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I was so uncomfortable. And I don't know. It's just, I feel like, I guess maybe in our lives, we don't maybe interact with with people that are that outwardly like lacking (laughs) that awareness. I don't know, just for her to say it and to say it on national television and to be so doing her little dance of, I just want to have fun. And it's like- 
I, oh my God, it was so uncomfortable to watch. I actually, I, I don't even know what to say. I was warned about this episode by like multiple people before I watched it, but nothing could have prepared me for Ramona coming back and doing that little dance. No, the the walking out when things get uncomfortable, to watch it back so many times in a row is like, it's so bad. It just, she gets up and leaves when she doesn't like the conversation or what's going on or doesn't want to participate or leaves the party and says she has vertigo. And when she was saying those things, it's almost like you can't believe people actually say that. And then to see her say it so nonchalantly and feel like she's saying the right thing and be confident in what she's saying, it's like, holy shit. Right. And it kind of, in a way, in like this very almost twisted way, it almost must feel a little validating for Ebony that like the way that she perceives Ramona to think about this stuff is actually accurate. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, her... I don't know if you want to call it her fear or more so her thought of like, I am so successful and I've gotten to where I am in my life, but I don't want anybody to think that that negates what I've been through. And like, you are seeing point blank a person very clearly negating, you know, what she's been through. Not even, actually not even having that thought process cross her mind. I think honestly for all of them sitting there when Ramona made a comment like that and other things, it was like, okay our assessment of her was accurate. Like we weren't not giving her enough credit. We were giving her the perfect amount of credit and we really were meeting her where she is, which is clearly very like low on the totem pole, you know? Yeah. The one thing that I will say is that I, every like actual thing that Ebony said, I I was on her page. The one thing that I was a little bit confused by was almost like how the Trump white supremacy thing came out based on what Sonya was saying. Like I, I didn't fully understand how he got there in a way. Um, I almost like I missed a conversation. Did you feel that way? Well, I felt like she was saying, I don't think if you vote for Trump, you're a white supremacist. And they kind of missed that. And then it got into like an unraveling about politics and voting. And then Leah brings up Ebony, like speaking highly of the Trumps and that her mom was going to vote for him. And I think that was actually, I don't know if it was like strategic or it was just a, a something that came to Leah's mind, but to call Ebony out on something and not feel like she's just blindly following anything she says was like, uh, you know, I think it was better for Leah to bring it up than somebody else because Ebony could just respond and give her thoughts on it instead of somebody else using it kind of as like an attack on her. Oh, totally. No, that's what I was saying earlier. Like I I actually can appreciate it coming from Leah because she, that showed like, I guess a level of objectivity. She was asking a question and you're right. Ebony understood and like received it. It's just a fair question. She even said that's a fair question to ask. Yeah. Um, I guess my thing is like what's, what Sonia initially brought up, the conversation that she like instigated in this group was just about the women's general thoughts on Ebony quote quote again, I say in quotes, getting on her platform, which as she described on our podcast is not the case, but whatever. That to me, I was like, okay, that's a different conversation than all of a sudden, you know, going into directly the Trump thing. I felt like I just missed something there, but who knows how it all went and what was lost in translation. I just, um, this was just an absolute shit show. And I think every single person could agree with that. Not to be clear, not that I'm against these conversations happening on TV at all. Like I'm, I know some people feel that way and whatever your opinion is, that's your opinion. I don't mind it. I actually think like this is the world that we're living in. And so these things need to be talked about. It was just everybody being on such different pages and such an inability to communicate, like just removed any sort of efficacy. Nothing about any of them being, even 
Sonia and Ramona don't feel like that good of friends anymore. And Luann, and they've been on this show together for 13 years. Like, it is so discombobulated to watch them all as a group because it just, I'm so aware that they're like showing up to a job and filming and then going home and not really speaking to each other. That, Mm -hmm. and that comes across. And then to all of a sudden be thrown into like really deep, heavy conversations that you would really want to have with people that you're close to and you respect and understand. It's like, it just, it just all feels so off. It really does. I don't know. I mean, I know I, I have to imagine that most of you listening agreed with us just in terms of this episode being a little bit hard to watch, but I, I do think, you know, an important watch, I just, something's got to give here because they have to be able to, to, to I, I don't know. This is just not, it's not, it's not the best season. No, definitely not. I will say I was very impressed with Sonia. Like when she was having that conversation with Ebony on their van ride to the matchmaker, I think she has a clearer grasp than we would expect. No, she does. And it didn't feel performative to me. I just think Leah needs to go. And I think that Ebony needs to bring a friend and maybe Sony needs to bring a friend. And that's what I think needs to happen. Yeah, a lot of things need to happen. And they need to bring in somebody else from the old school cast. Oh, and Dorinda, of course. Yeah, and Dorinda has to come back. I I need the Berkshires. I absolutely need the Berkshires, and I won't settle until we can go back to Bluestone Manor. (laughs) No sleep till Bluestone Manor. No sleep till Bluestone Manor. Love you guys so much. We will see you next week, and next week it'll be Potomac, Beverly Hills, and New York. Oh my God, I better rest up. (laughs) 